All right. Well, welcome back to the Fatal Conceits podcast, dear listeners, a show about money, markets, mobs, and manias. If you haven't already checked out our Substack page, please feel free to do so, where you can sign up for our daily e-letter. We have hundreds of articles on the sites there from everything, covering everything from lowly politics to high finance and everything else in between. Of course, you'll find research reports and more conversations just like this one. That's bonaprivateresearch.substack.com. And now today, I'm very, very excited to welcome our special guest, longtime uh, friend of the show and of the Bonner Private Research family, Byron King. Byron, welcome to the show, mate. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you, Joel. It's a pleasure to be here. And hello to all of our Bonner Private Researchers out there who uh, subscribe <laughs> and make it all possible. Thank you. Yeah, outstanding. Mate, I've this, as you and I discussed in uh, over a couple of emails before uh, we scheduled today's show, there's so many things that I want to get your insights and expertise on, uh, not least of which the uh, unfolding situation uh, on the Eurasian step. We've got supply chain issues to talk about. We've got uh, inflation heating up. There's market meltdowns. There's all, all kinds of things going on here. But uh, I thought just out the gate, we're speaking the day after uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell's announcement of his 50 basis point rate hike, which uh, for those at home paying attention, puts the Fed a long way behind the curve with regards to real inflation, which pick a number is running anything from 8.5% officially to maybe some multiple of that, depending on how you calculate it. Markets, um, I'm just looking at right now, are uh, a wash in red this morning uh, after a brief moment, a brief window of optimism yesterday afternoon. Byron, what's your your take uh, 24 hours in? Well, I wasn't surprised to see the 0.50 uh, basis point raise. It was telegraphed well in advance. Uh, but uh, if you want to see central banking, that's not central banking. That's just, you know, I mean, you know, that's that's band-aiding, uh, <laughs> hemorrhaging, superating, uh, you know, compound fracture of a wound. Uh, you know, it's a sucking chest wound and you're giving the patient an aspirin saying, mm -hmm. you know, I hope you feel better. Uh, doesn't work. You want to see central banking? Look what uh, the Russian central bank did, uh, you know, two months ago when, you know, the, when the sanctions hit, you know, the, the conflict started in Ukraine. They jacked up their uh, interest rates in Russia to 20%, like bam, just like that. Uh, that was their way of saying to the world, you know, you might not like us, you might not like what we're doing, uh, and you're putting sanctions on us and kicking us out of SWIFT and everything else, but our ruble is still a valuable item, and, it, and we're going to pay you 20% uh, for, for the rubles. And oh, by the way, we're going to buy gold based on rubles. And so, right. you, know, you want to see central banking, that's central banking. What we saw yesterday is just, you know, American politicking, and it's the same uh, silliness uh, that we've seen in, uh, you know, monetary policy and so much of everything else that passes for policy in America these days. I mean, we, 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 have, a, we have an ungovernable country run by people who don't know how to govern and, uh, and you know, and, and a lot of people who don't want to be governed. So, you know, where, where does that leave us? Right. Yeah. It's, 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 a, 
something of a something of an ineptocracy uh, at at hand here. But so, what would the uh, what would the Fed have to do, in your opinion, to kind of pull a Volcker, uh, if you will, and uh, stand strong behind its currency? What would it have to do to get out ahead of of the curve and send a, a strong enough signal to the market that it was serious uh, about protecting the integrity of the greenback? Well, I mean, if they did pull a Volcker. Um, and they and they raised interest rates to well above you know what we see as inflation. You know, uh, you know they, they would they would they would have to do I would say at least ten or twelve percent rate rise, which of course is politically impossible, and it's utterly fantastical to even think of our you know Washington D.C. policymakers doing something like that because they're cowards and they can't you know they they can't really they can't really do things that require bravery. Uh, the markets would crash. People would hate them. Uh, we would certainly get the Supreme Court and the uh, Roe v. Wade decision off the front page for at least a day or so if they did that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but of course, America is concentrating on you know on that uh, as opposed to other things that are important, like oh, you know, the value of the dollar going forward, or perhaps even a nuclear war with Russia. Who cares about that when we have you know well, when we have some you know. Uh, some little toady in the Supreme Court who can leak out a, uh, a decision in advance, you know. So, I mean, this gets into a lot of different things, but, but I mean, uh, uh, you know, Paul Volcker should, uh, uh, Paul, Paul Volcker should just be rolling in his grave. Uh, you know, he, he did what he had to do. He jacked interest rates up to 19% and he killed inflation. And, uh, you know, and the country lasted another, you know, uh, you know let's say, you know, 30, 35 or 40 years Although, you know, it's been, uh, you know, monetarily, it's been just sort of falling apart since, certainly since the 2008 uh, uh, crash, which was never properly addressed. It gets into a lot of different things, but, you know, yeah. uh, we, we, yeah, people it's, write books on this stuff. We're just, we're just having a conversation. It, it, you're, you're, it is almost unfathomable uh, to think about what kind of uh, havoc a 10 or 12% uh, rate hike would wreak upon the markets. I mean, I'm I'm looking at uh, at the tickers on the the broader indexes this morning after just uh, 50 bips, and we see as I'm reading the scroll here, it's the Dow's off three percent over a thousand points down, S and P down three and a half, the Nasdaq uh, tech heavy Nasdaq, of course, was down over five percent earlier this morning. So this is with just a half a percentage. Uh, it's it's almost uh, unthinkable to imagine the carnage that would come down the down the pike if uh, if they pulled a Volcker or, uh, or or jacked it up as did Putin. But you bring up an uh, an interesting point there, many interesting points, Byron. And maybe we'll, this is a little off topic here, but uh, just given the the Roe v. Wade leak and and the timing of it all, uh, without getting into that that sort of quagmire of a of a debate, what do you think this says about the confidence or the lack of confidence just in the institutions of the United States, which have been the the backbone, you know, the scaffolding of the democracy or the republic rather that the that the founders envisioned. Uh, they've they've become extremely politicized and one can't help but uh, but imagine that this leak, you know, whiffs of uh, of you know timing with the upcoming election and 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 whatnot, but it does seem to to indicate a kind of erosion in the confidence of uh, of America's institutions. Is that the way that that you read that? Oh, I think it's a I think it's a major crack in the in the dam, uh, and 
I mean, no, nobody trusted Congress. You know, they, they, they leak like a sieve. Nobody trusts the executive <laughs> office. They leak like a sieve. Uh, you, you, you can agree or disagree with what the Supreme Court does in its decision making. Uh, I don't think anybody who really follows the court would ever have uh, a question, though, that they are a collegial bunch who they, 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 they engage in their debates behind closed doors. And when they are finished, out come the decisions. You know, whatever the decision is in, in Roe v. Wade, and, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, there's yep. going to be a decision one way or the other. You know, that it is what it is. All that the leak did was was put it into into play in a in a highly you know public sort of way, and 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 you lose confidence in the whole process. I mean, I, mm. I, I mean, I, we, we, people may know it. I have a Navy background. I mean, I was in the anti-submarine warfare business. I, you know, I know, you know, rule number one of you know electric boat. You don't talk about electric boat. Rule number one of submarines. You know, people who know a lot about submarines don't talk about submarines. People who don't know a lot about submarines, you know, try to tell you convince you that they do. You don't talk about submarines, you know. Yeah, that's where I come from. You don't talk about submarine stuff because it's that's how quiet you want to keep it. You don't talk about what happens in the Supreme Court. If you're a clerk and you go there and I don't care how much, you know, you really want to, oh, I know this, I know this. Oh, I'm like, a, I have to I have to tell somebody. No, 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 no. You you cut your wrists. You jump off a bridge. You take a pill, whatever you have to do to not, you, you don't do that. You don't yeah. do that. Somebody did it. I mean, was it a clerk? I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, you know, we we may never know. But uh, but it's just the idea that you know. I mean, in a in a broad sense, you know, the U.S. is becoming more and more ungovernable. I mean, it's a big country, three hundred and fifty million people. They say three hundred and thirty, but really, there's like twenty million that the Census Bureau doesn't count, just for political reasons. Uh, but uh, big country. It's it's you know widely diverse. You know, massive. Uh, uh, disparities of wealth, massive disparities of, of opinion. And, you know, can, can can the country still function? Well, you know, there was this one little place on the top of Capitol Hill, this the white marble building with these, you know, stone statues in front of it, and, you know, where, where we could at least have a little bit of confidence that, okay, you know, there's, there's rational thinking going on behind the bronze doors. Eh, I guess not, you know, I guess not. And, yeah, um, it's, it seems so, like the just another in a long list of, uh, or a long uh, convoy of institutions from academia to corporate America that now seems to, yeah, as you said, uh, entered the fray for uh, hyper politicization. And I'm I'm wondering as we we can talk a little bit about the the situation um, on the Eurasian step and sort of get into mm-hmm. into all that, but. It, just to kind of preface that, it does seem to your point about uh, political polarization. Uh, it does seem now that you know there are every week there is a there's a shiny new object, a shiny new subject on on Twitter or on you know the social media's uh, social media channels, whereby everybody has to fall immediately in line with their partisan um, you know kind of checkbook. Uh, and it seems that no matter where you're, where a rational, level-headed, circumspect inquiry might lead you, there's no time for that. You immediately need to make up your mind on, you know, subject A, B, or C, and it needs to be in complete alignment with the rest of left party left or party right uh, politics. And of course, we saw that with uh, you know, with everything happening uh, over in in the Ukraine, I 
you know a lot more about this than I do, but I was very, very surprised to see the rapidity with which people who I, uh, you know, had had long friendships with who had never mentioned the Ukraine before, who gave no indication that they were experts on, uh, you know, Eastern, I've got some uh, traffic outside here, but who gave me no indication in our 20 or 30 years of friendship that they were PhDs in the history of Eastern European uh, geopolitics. And within three days knew exactly which flag they needed to put up, whether it was a Russian flag or, an, or a Ukrainian flag, to indicate their position. Um, you, you know, it's <laughs> talking about an ungovernable country. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what role uh, our, our media platforms play in this polarization of, of the body politic. Um, it, it's if you if you have studied, let's say World War One, for example, the First World War, and uh, as it played out in Europe, if you studied what happened in the United States, there are a lot of eerie similarities. You know, in the in the U.S., you know they 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 took the, you know they they took the British side, although there was a very large German population in the United States. First thing the British did when the war broke out was they cut the cables under sea from Germany, from Europe, from mainland Europe to the United States. So the only news that came to the U.S. was filtered through mm. London, through, you know, through the British through BBC, uh, yeah. sources. Uh, and, 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 the, and in the U.S., as World War I progressed and eventually as the U.S. entered the war, uh, there, there, was a there was a tremendous war fever, uh, an anti-German fever. I mean, they banned speaking German. They banned teaching German. They burned German books uh, in the United States. I mean, they... Uh, 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 a big part of the prohibition movement uh, that, that eventually became, you know, the Prohibition Amendment uh, had to do with uh, uh, bias against, you know, beer, you know, which was mm. considered a German, a uh, German, a German yeah. substance. You know, I mean, you know, the ancient Egyptians actually invented beer, but you know, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter <laughs> when you're trying to trying to make a certain point here. You know, yeah. and so here we are today. You know, I mean, you're in Argentina, I'm in the U.S. I'm not in the Ukraine, okay? I, uh, you know, I, I watch what's going on. I mean, I'm a Navy guy. You know, I was a, I was combat coded air crew in the U.S. Navy. I was, you know, I was a nuclear weapons guy. I had, you know, if they had said go out there and you know bomb that bomb that spot, I'd, I'd, that's me. If there had been a nuclear war, that would have been me blowing blowing holes in the ocean. I hate war, man. You know, I, you know, I want nothing to do with it. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I did Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I was in the Middle East in the 90s. I was, you know, I, you know, I, I, I visited a lot of people, uh, you know, in the last 20 years, got their legs blown off in Iraq and, you know, Afghanistan. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what's going on over there is just human tragedy. Uh, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine. They should not have done that. They're, there's a lot of things that could have happened to keep that war from happening, but it but it happened and it's there. But the idea that a whole lot of outsiders are now, you know, we're all we're all we're all in it to win it, as uh, as uh, certain politicians in Washington are saying. I mean, you know, you know, politicians on the outside are saying, oh, you know, we're we're behind you. We're we're going to fight to the last drop of your Ukrainian blood uh, against those those terrible Russians. I mean, I have to wonder about that. You know, like you know, when when the politicians go to Kiev and uh, and they, and you know, they're they're getting medals for bravery because you know because what we're, we're using all these uh, 
we're, we're re, trying to reenact World War II again. You know, we talk about World War One. Trying, trying to reenact World War II. You know, we got Churchillian rhetoric. We're going to fight on the beaches and on those forests mm-hmm. and on the hillsides. Okay, I get it. If your country's being invaded, you say things like that. But we're talking about lend lease. It's like, oh, for God's sakes, we're going to do lend lease again. You know, uh, like we give you know fifty crappy destroyers that leak you know to Britain, and you know we get all this other stuff back. I don't, I don't see the balance. Of, uh, of what's going on there. We're, we're feeding these weapons, you know, into Ukraine uh, and, and we're, we're prolonging this conflict. Um, and, uh, and, and, and people are saying, well, we're gonna, we're gonna fight this war for months, for years. We're gonna weaken Russia. We don't want Russia. I, I mean, if you're the Russians, you know, what do, what do you think about that? You know, there was an article in the, it was in the New York Times, the headline of the New York Times, at the top of the, top of the New York Times just yesterday, that, you know, U.S. intelligence is going to Ukraine, and that's this is how the Ukrainians have killed these Russian generals. You know, even if it's true, and even if it's true, you don't say things like that. I mean, yeah. for for me to help this guy kill a general, I'm an accessory to murder. I'm a that's an act of war, by the way. You know, when 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 you feed information to somebody, it's a here, go go kill that guy, and and especially you know a Russian general. I mean, I mean, what are we doing? What are our policymakers doing? Now people say, well, you know, should should we just let Ukraine get overrun? You know, I mean, here we are, you know, I'm thousands of miles away from the situation. We're dealing with, you know, two people. I've met real Ukrainians, real live, you know, Ukrainian Ukrainians. I've never met a, I can't say I've ever met a Nazi though. I mean, I, maybe I have, I just didn't know, you know. But I've met Ukrainians and I understand kind of this Ukrainian conception. And I know a lot of Russians and I understand this Russian conception. These 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 tribes have this thing that goes back centuries, you know, 1500 years, something like that. You know, and I'm I'm over here in the in the United States. and I don't quite get it. I get that they have something. But why is there something my something, you know, and right. uh and as a, as a you know as an as a great power, as as the United States as a great power, even though it's ungovernable, even though you know we can't decide on policy, we can't decide on how much to spend or not to spend. We we fight we fight over you know leaks from the Supreme Court. Even all despite all of that, we're a great power, and we have to be careful about getting involved in big wars with big countries. You know, and yeah. Russia is a big country. It's big geographically. Uh, and it has lots of nuclear weapons. These guys have 6,000 nuclear weapons and they have ways to deliver them, you know, which is, we're, we're not talking about, you know, embargoing Cuba. We're not talking about beating up on Iran. We're not talking about, you know, beating up on, you know, North Korea. Not that that has ever done us any good either, you know. Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not talking about, you know, fighting some little third-rate army like, you know, Iraq or something like that. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, a, a nuclear superpower. You know, and it, it's it's very troubling from my end. I'm not making policy. I'm not in Washington D.C., but I, uh, but I, I don't know that the people in Washington D.C. know what the hell they're doing either. Uh, you know. No, well, uh, they're 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 giving us plenty of plenty of reason to think that they don't know uh, what they're doing, and and which brings me to this uh, this concept of you know this law of unintended consequences, and you know as we all. As we all rush to uh, formulate and broadcast our opinions, uh, sometimes called virtue signaling, um, you know, as quickly as we possibly can to show that we're on, you know, one side or another side, and let all our friends know that that, that we're with them. I, I wonder that in our haste to 
enact policies such as the various sanctions that have been uh, visited upon uh, not just Russia as a state, but also Russian individuals. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, confiscation of private property and, uh, you know, extra jurisdictional confiscation of private property, which if you were trying to set an example of, uh, you know, being of not acting like an, uh, you know, global authoritarian dictatorship, you might want to have a look at some of the, you know, things like the rule of law and start abiding by those. But all that aside, what the just from a kind of reputational standpoint, um, you know, how has these or how have these sanctions, particularly those from uh, from the West uh, against Russia, do you think damaged our credibility in the eyes of other nations that may not be so sympathetic uh, to our our causes, such as obviously China, India, et cetera? I think sanctions have been uh, an ongoing disaster uh, for many years. I mean, I in, when I was writing whiskey and gunpowder and other newsletters uh, with you know with the Agor Group over the years, I, I often mentioned that you know sanctions are not working. Sanctions you know are not effective. Uh, they certainly don't, they don't they don't change behavior uh, of people who don't want to change their behavior. You know, uh, uh, and so with the sanctions against Russia. Uh, we've basically backfired uh, against ourselves. I mean, mm. to say that, well, you know, you're so bad, you know, we're, we're not going to, you know, we, we don't want to buy your oil or your gas or, you know, we're going to put, we're going to take, we're going to kick you out of the SWIFT system. We're going to kick you out of all these other international organizations. Uh, we're confiscating your sovereign wealth. We're confiscating your oligarch wealth. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a disgraceful abuse of you know the U.S. Constitution in the sense that the idea that we go to let's just pick oligarchs for a second here. The, you know, I don't think I know any oligarchs. Again, it's kind of like you know I don't I've met Russians. I don't know that I've ever met a Russian oligarch. Uh, I've never been on a Russian oligarch yacht. I mean, I have I have seen a couple in my travels and they're pretty impressive. But uh, I mean, nobody ever invited me on board. You know, so uh, but the idea that you know okay you're a Russian oligarch. And we don't like you, and we're going to take all your money, and we're going to seize your yacht, and we're going to take your real estate from London or you know wherever wherever it happens to be. And uh, and it's kind of like, wait a minute, you know, did, did this Russian oligarch is did did he drop a bomb on somebody and kill them in Ukraine? I mean, did, you know, was he driving a tank? I, I you know I missed that part of the I missed that mm -hmm. part of the logical connection here. I you know what did this guy do? You know, I mean, why yeah. are we taking his money? And then the sovereign part of it, the sovereign wealth. Oh, Russia, you have whatever the number is, three hundred billion dollars. We're going to scoop that and just drag it off the table. It's kind of like, whoa! We just told everybody in the whole world, every country in the whole world that, that buys U.S. Treasuries or that buys, you know, U.S. that keeps money in U.S. banks or U.S. institutions or U.S. bonds or U.S. that that, that if we don't like you, and you know, and maybe it's something we very bad that we don't like you about, but if we don't like you, we're going to, we're going to take your stuff. Uh, yeah. You've just diminished the credibility of the dollar. You've just diminished the credibility of your of your whole system. I mean, even during the Crimean War in the 18 early 50s, 1853, Russia was fighting Britain, France, you know, over Crimea of all places. Um, but Russia and Britain were still having uh, commercial dealings. I mean, Russia Russia paid interest on bonds. Britain paid. Interest on, because this is this is what you know proper businesses did, and, and you know uh, 
And this was during a real war. This, you know, right now it, it's Ukraine and Russia with, you know, I mean, obviously NATO's backing it up, but I mean, call me old fashioned, but I, 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 missed, I missed the declaration of war against Russia if there was one. Technically, mm-hmm. we are not at war with these people, although, you know, we're kind of doing everything we're doing everything short of it. And, you know, who knows, perhaps, you know, we're doing, we're doing everything necessary to, to egg it on, you know, eventually, yeah. which, you know, talk about yeah, it, do- it does seem a little bit, um, you know, just watching some uh, congressional testimony from, uh, you know, it, it used to be, it used to be the case that, you know, the, and I'll just use sort of air quotes here if we're, if we're doing audio only for this podcast, so <laughs> listeners know, but it used to be that there were neocons on the, on the uh, Republican side who were hawkish, you know, who never met a war that they didn't want to march somebody else's son off to. But then you had this, um, this progressive, socially progressive liberals at home in the United States who were, again, air quotes, supposed to be uh, dovish when it came to, uh, you know, interventionalist foreign policy. But it does seem now on Capitol Hill that you have, uh, you know, to use your term, egging on, you have a, a whole bunch of uh, congressmen and women from the floor that are that are looking for any excuse to, you know, when do we get to send the fighter jets in? When would, you know, in what scenario would we deploy you know, the next level up of weapons. I mean, it's this, you almost get this kind of, you know, mad rush for war. And I'm, I'm just wondering if we're not sort of thinking all of the consequences through as we, as the situation escalates. Absolutely. Uh, outside of, you know, the uh, certain cadres within the military, very few people in America and very few people in American policymaking understand the military and or war making. I mean, mm-hmm. we. If, I mean, you you can study all sorts of history in colleges across the country: social history, diplomatic history, environmental history, history inside history, and this history and that. You can study all all different species of history, but try to find a program at a reputable university in military history. You mm-hmm. won't. I mean, there are a couple. There are very few. But uh, uh, so 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 Americans tend intellectually in our and certainly in our policy making intellectual classes they tend not to understand issues of military military thinking military history uh, to to understand modern military matters takes uh, a, a degree and probably an advanced degree in a, in a hard science you know lots of math lots of physics whatever I think the last war that people could have understood, without knowing chemistry, physics, and math was maybe the Spanish-American War, you know, because mm. by World War One, you know, with radio, with sonar, with, uh, you know, with, with, with long-range artillery, it was starting to get into, like, calculus, you know? Right. Uh, World the, War II... The, the cavalry with, was already the last war by that stage. Exactly, exactly. By World War II, we were doing lots of math and lots of physics and lots of chemistry, you know, you know again, you know, radio, radio electronics, radar, sonar, nuclear power, jet engines, things like that. If you don't understand some of the basics of those things, you know, you, you don't really get, you can read a lot about it. You can, you, and you can read a lot of comic books about it. You can read a lot of, you know, fantasy fiction books about it and think that you know what's going on. But the people who are out there banging the drum saying, oh, let's, you know, let's do the, let's do a no-fly zone. Let's do the, they don't know what they're talking about in terms of, you know, in terms of what that involves and what you're up against Certainly, mm-hmm. when you want to do a no-fly mm-hmm. zone against Russia, 
are you kidding me? Give me a break. Um, you know, and, and one, one more thing, let me just add to that. I've, I've talked to people and they said, well, you know, the Russians, they suck. You know, their tanks blow up or kill other guys. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, you know, um, they, 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 they had bad equipment, bad training. They had a bad plan when they started out. But, you know, a lot of people start their wars with bad plans, you know, um, and uh, they learn. And I think the Russians have learned. And when you've got a, got a country like Ukraine with, you know, you know, whatever the number is, 44 million or 40 or 35 million or 32 million, whatever that number is now, mm-hmm. because people have been, you know, moving out and this and that, um, versus Russia with 144 million people. And, and, and the legacy of the Soviet militarization of, of that entire continent, you know, uh, you're, you've got a hell of a fight. You know, when people say, right. oh, the Russians, they're going to run out of weapons. They're going to run out of missiles. And so, Are you kidding me? No, they're not. Yeah. They have entire yeah. cities devoted to cranking out ammunition. You know, well, they were using junky, you know, you know, artillery shells that didn't explode. Yeah, so what? You know, they've got train loads of that stuff that's going to come in and it will explode. You know, and well, they're going to run out of, out of advanced missiles. I don't think so. You know, we, they have entire factories in the mountains that crank out those missiles like sausage. You know, so I'm just just saying that if you want to get into a fight with these guys, you'd better you'd better appreciate what that involves. Uh, uh, you know, for the last pick a number, 75 years, the United States has never fought against a, a country that can really, truly hit back at us. You know, I mean, I mean, the Korean War, we fought China. Uh, there was a little bit, you know, I mean, we, we've our Soviet pilots fought against American pilots in the Korean War, um, and they actually did pretty well, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in North Vietnam, um, Soviet equipment and Soviet advisors and Soviet uh, trainers, uh, you know, were, were right behind the North Vietnamese. And uh, although it's hard to really say that technically we ever fought mano a mano, you know, American against the Soviet in North Vietnam. It's not hard to imagine that you know we were, you know, that they were right behind, and and the Vietnam War in in certain respects was uh, was a uh, uh, was was a real slap in the face to American military might. I mean, we lost ten thousand aircraft in the Vietnam War. You know, uh, thirty five hundred yeah. were like you know you know high high performance jets shot down. I mean, so, uh, I, I I I talked about this a little bit. I was fortunate in my life and in my Navy days. To, to be, I had instructors, I had instructor pilots uh, who, I, I went in the Navy after the Vietnam era, but I had instructor pilots who were there. I had, I was trained by guys who had dodged surface air missiles over Hanoi and Haiphong. And we talked about this stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Soviet equipment in the 60s was, was pretty good, you know, um, you know, for, for, the, for its time. And it has gotten better and better and better over the years. So when people say, well, the Russians, yeah, they're, they're, do not dismiss what's going on over there just because, you know, over what we've seen in the last month and a half. Okay, you saw a line of burned out tanks. Okay, yeah, uh, that happened. Um, but but don't dismiss them as, as a military power. The, the policymakers are so cavalier in Washington about this. They, they just think that war is a video game, war is a comic book, because they don't understand it. They never studied it in college, never studied it in grad school. 
a lot of them, most of them, never spent one day of their life, you know, in in a in a U.S. military uniform. Never did one push up for one drill instructor, and they don't know they don't they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, they're more than happy a, to send the kid down the street <clears throat> over there, you know, to get his to get his legs blown off. Just just saying. Right. What's that old uh, Creedence Clearwater revival song? Reminds me of the. Um... Uh, for, fortunate son. I always have that lyric. You know, I I, I ain't no senator's son. I'm not going to be. Uh, they, they aren't going to be marching off to war anytime soon. But I, it was. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, the the resilience of. I mean, as if we needed to underscore that point. Surely, the most of the 20th century went to uh, illuminating the point that Russians can go scorched earth. They can hunker down. They can. They can, uh, you know, withstand sieges. And I even saw during during the last few months that they were that certain reports that they were going to be running out of energy. And that's when I thought that surely, surely we've jumped the shark here. Russia run out of energy, but it's uh, anyway. So we we can maybe use that to segue into uh, speaking a little more broadly about uh, the energy markets because it does seem that Russia have. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of aces up their sleeve, and again, this isn't a this isn't a commentary on the political situation. This is just sort of hard facts on the ground. Uh, you've written uh, fairly extensively about uh, a version of either a gold or methane or gold and methane uh, backed ruble. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, maybe just sort of. Uh, tell us what you mean by that, uh, and then we can get into some of the some of the ways that that impacts the situation both in Russia and in the U.S. directly. Okay, it goes back to what we were talking earlier about uh, what, what what does a central bank what does a real central bank look like? You know, they raised Russia. You know, when they got sanctioned, they raised interest rates to twenty percent, and they said we're going to pay five thousand rubles per gram of gold. Uh, now, since then, they've said, well, we'll negotiate that 5,000, but it's still around that number. So when you do the math, a gram of gold, 31.1 grams is, is an ounce. You do the math, uh, you translate it you know, from rubles to dollars on the exchange rate or whatever. Um, depending on what your ruble rate is, the, 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 the Russians are saying that we will pay, You know, back then it was about not quite $1,600 an ounce of gold today with the exchange rate of the ruble, that 5,000 uh, rubles per gram, is, it's up well over $2,000 an ounce for gold. So mm. uh, what, what, the, what the Russians did with that was they basically put, let's call it a bumpy floor underneath the price of gold or under, mm-hmm. under you know, well, they, they backed their ruble indirectly with gold and they put a floor under the price of gold. Because if you're a, if you're a paper gold trader, if you're a paper trader and you try to trade it down, really you know crash the price if you get too far below that that russian gold ruble uh number you're going to get arbitraged right yeah yep. so but then the next thing they did and this is act this is part of it i mean these these things all fit together uh the russians said we're only going to sell our natural gas for rubles we want rubles mm. and so it's got wait a minute they want rubles for their gas that they got rubles over here that they'll pay for gold all of a sudden you've just connected the price of of natural gas, methane gas, to the price of gold. Now they're saying we're going to, uh, over time, we're going to sell our our oil for rubles as well. We just haven't got there yet because there's you know, there's a lot of contracts in the way and there's a lot of legalisms that have to get worked out and uh, there's a lot of there's just a lot of mechanics involved in something like that. 
Uh, and then just, you know, the other day, and I, I forwarded it to you, in fact, I, I believe you saw it. Uh, the Russians are saying that, um, you know, if you sanction us, we're, we're going to sanction, you know, you on the, you know, unfriendly countries. You know, we're not going to sell our products to you, uh, you know, oil, gas, you know, uranium, which is a big, big part of, you know, what Russia exports. Other metals, you know, nickel, uh, titanium, you know, fertilizer, you know, you, you know, whole, whole list of things. So uh, to the extent that Russia has now said, you know, we're, we're not going to take your dollars or your euros, you know, or your yen or your pounds or what have you. We're only going to take rubles for our for the goods that we export. Uh, and they've tied their ruble to the price of gold. Russia has just basically created a commodity, uh, a commodity global economy that is tied to the price of gold. Mm -hmm. um, and now you can say, well, we're not going to play that game. We in the West, we're not going to play that game. Fine. You know, go without the Russian gas, go without the Russian oil, without the Russian titanium, without the Russian fertilizer, without the Russian, you know, you name it, without the neon gas that you use to make the computer chips, without the sapphire substrates that you need to make the computer chips, without, without all that stuff that, you know, that the, that the nuclear armed gas station over there, you know, exports. You go, go ahead, be yourself. Um, we, we, we're creating, in a sense, you know, uh, instead of a, a global world, it's, you know, we're deglobalizing, that's for sure. Then we're creating two different, two different economies. There's going to be this debt-based fiat economy where the, where the central bank doesn't have the guts to raise interest rates to kill inflation. And then we've got this commodity-based economy over here where Russia says, we have lots of oil, we have gas, we have nickel, we have palladium, we have, you come pay us in rubles. And, uh, and so, but now you've got to, Get across that barrier and like, well, how do I get some rubles? How do I get me some of those rubles? Yep. You know, um, yep. so so there's there's your methane based, you know, there, there's your commodity based uh, ruble, a commodity based global currency, and then the other side of that, the, the big you know eight hundred pound gorilla on the other side of the room here, is that you know here's Russia, here's China. China needs everything. They need the oil. They need the gas. They need the nickel, the palladium, the you you name it. Whatever Russia exports, you know. China will take will take it all if they can, uh, yep. and so they'll. It's 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 the Halford Mackinder um, concept of you know the, the world island on steroids. You know you you, you know it's the heartland theory. It's the, um, I mean it, it you know it's 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 these these geopolitical theories that have evolved in the last like 120 years or something. You know, you got the Alfred Mahan navalist you know influence of sea power theory. You've got the Julian Corbett you know theory of of uh, sea power influencing land, you've got the you've got the um, you've got Alfred McKinder, McKinder with his Heartland theory. You've got Nicholas Spikeman in the 1940s with the, you know kind of that Rimland theory. But I mean, you, basically, you've you've put Russia with its resources and China with its industry and its people, you know, together, and uh, they've created they've created that core world island. And China's already well on the way with its Belt and Road you know, to kind of tie the heartland together, add up the numbers of people involved, you know, China, throw in India while you're at it. Um, I was going to say know, India, yeah, it's right there. I mean, you're, looking, you're looking at four and five billion people on the face of this earth, you know, and uh, yep. uh, you, you, can, you can have a hell of an, you can have a hell of an economy when you take, you know, four billion people and you tie them all together with, you know, with, with resources and a, and, a, and, a, and a form of trading that, you know, where, where people settle their accounts routinely. Uh, and, and I think the, the West is just going to be on the uh, on 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 we're going to be on the rimland, so to speak. Right, right. 
Yeah. And I think are the, are the Indians buying uh, the, that sort of Urals blend at whatever discount it is now, 20% or something? Yeah. There's some yeah. meaningful dis- discount, isn't there, between West Texas, Brent, and the Urals blend? It was about 20% when I last checked, but it might have might have come off a bit since then. The numbers that I saw, and this was just a couple of days ago, I was looking at it, uh, you know, if, you know with uh, the, the, the global number was, you know, $100, $500, a barrel. Mm-hmm. Russian oil was going for about a $25 to $30 discount. So yeah. let's say $75. Well, guess what? You know, Russia produces oil at a at an internal cost of far less than $75. I mean, their mm-hmm. their their production cost per barrel could be let's say let's let's say that it's $25 a barrel. It's actually less than that, but I'm just going to use it because the math is easy. And so, but if they sell it for 75, you know, and they're still making 50 bucks a barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay, so they're they're leaving that thirty dollars on the table for some Indian guy or some Chinese guy or some other you know global trader or whatever to you know to, to, to that that's the slop you know that they can yep. they're, they're going to get they're going to get out of it. Uh, and there's all sorts of tricks going on you know where the Russian tanker will come out over offshore and they'll offload their oil into another tanker and then they'll put some other oil in it from you know from a completely different source. But as long as you got fifty one percent not russian oil or only 49 percent russian oil oh, you, you can still that. sell it as just you know it, it, no, no you, nobody can say oh this is russian oil anymore you know um okay. only, only the chemists would know you know and and uh um and, and, even, and, and, and they're probably paid not to know at some at some uh, level you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when you have a refinery to run and you've got to put the product in over here to get the product out over there you know so you, sometimes you don't you just don't worry about uh you know where where it came from as long as you can check off the boxes on the paper you know yeah and um, and you can t- and you can turn the light on so what to talk through talk us through a little bit because you and I spoke about this we've spoken about it a couple of times now and of course when we first uh touched base after some time uh at our um, emergency winter catastrophe summit this was back in December of 2021 we we can't have known uh, all that was going to come down the pike uh, geopolitically and within just a few months from then. Um, but you were banging the table, you know, back in late last year uh, about, you know, Germany having surrendered a, a huge amount of its energy independence, um, you know, by sort of decommissioning its nuclear plants and mm-hmm. this, this kind of green pipe dream and and then having to revert to lignite. Uh, now they're in a very precarious situation indeed. But uh, just with regards to taking Russian raw materials, and you can take you know Ukrainian raw materials off the off the table for that matter as well while we're, while we're speaking. But what does it mean for people in the West to no longer have access to or have very restricted or very conditional access to, for example, thirty uh, percent of the world's fertilizer, or chicken feed, or organic seed, or you know all, all of the things that you just mentioned. How, when an American goes to a grocery store three, six, nine months from now, uh, what are the what, what is the reality that is going to confront them that they might not have fully processed yet? Well, you know, here we are. It's it's we're talking in uh, the early part of May, and it's the spring planting season. In the northern hemisphere, and uh, you, you know, you plant the seeds, you put the fertilizer on there, uh, and a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of other inputs and hard work and expenses, you know, over the over the growing season, uh, without the upfront fertilizer, which uh, is you know, it, it's you might say it's available, but it's very expensive. 
So, you, you know, this reports I hear that a lot of farmers are just, we're going to use less, we're not going to use as much, whatever. Uh, you know, come the fall, come the harvest, you know, uh, we're going to have lower, we're going to have lower harvests. And uh, uh, in terms of like, where you know, where the ags, agricultures are going, where the ags are going as the commodity you know, traders say, you know, I mean, uh, uh, price of wheat, price of corn, price of everything is going to be going up, uh, which, uh, you know, so the, so the price, the, there's going to be less just raw food being produced from the farms in the fields. Uh, the processing isn't going to be any cheaper at all because costs of energy are going, are, are high and getting higher. Diesel, which is what we run tractors on, what we run tractor trailers on, and, you know, uh, uh, generators and you know uh, you know things like propane or you know the things that, that farmers use to dry the grain when they harvest it you know the, it's wet and they put it in the in the silo and then they pump you know warm air through it to dry it out so that otherwise it rots you know I mean all of those inputs are going up in price so in terms of like individuals you know what you know what are you going to do Joel what am I going to do Byron what are you know re- the listeners out there what are the watchers what are they going to do out there you're going to go to the store. And uh, you're going to say, oh, my goodness, a gallon of milk is almost as expensive as a gallon of diesel fuel. You know, that's, that's a joke. Uh, yeah, that it's, a, it's a macabre joke. You know, I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if a loaf of bread is, you know, pick a number, two dollars, it's going to be five dollars. You know, um, there will be there will be things that happen. You know, farmers will say, oh, I can't afford to keep these livestock fed. So off they go to the slaughterhouse. So great. There's going to be a the. Uh, a time when you know when 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 pork pork chops are cheap, you know, or there'll be a time when you know certain kinds of beef is cheap or something like that. Yeah, that's because we're killing all the cows, you know, killing all the hogs, yeah. uh, to because can't afford to feed them, you know, and so off they go. Um, you know, as as this unfolds, um, I I expect to see I expect to see scarcity, you know, across the world. I mean, in parts of the world are going to experience extreme scarcity. Parts of the world that have money and that have supply chains and you know uh, sophisticated logistical systems, there will still be things on the shelves. But uh, um, I I remember about two years ago, a little over two years ago, just when COVID was kicking off, uh, I wrote an article in Whiskey and Gunpowder, and I actually said something like, um, uh, "We're probably going to see you know National Guard units guarding supermarkets uh, to con- to control crowds." As people go in and out just to buy their food with their masks on and their all their you know anti-COVID gear and everything, because everybody bought into that you know narrative as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I certainly think that you know the price of food historically has always been a uh, uh, a, a revolutionary point in time. Um, yeah. You know when Marie Antoinette said, "If they have no bread, let them eat cake." Ha ha. Yeah. Well, she got her head chopped off, didn't she? You know. Right. Uh, when you look at all the uh, uh, all those color, color revolutions that, you know, it, you know, 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago that yep. started, you know, Tun- you know, the Tunisia, the whole uh, Arab Spring, yep. the, the, yeah, the, the whole Arab Spring, it started in Tunisia with a, uh, with a, a food seller who had a little cart and he, you know, he was, he was just eking out a bare existence, a bare living. And along came the, the cops to, you know, rough him up and take his cart and, you know, he, he killed himself and and you know and the next thing you know the country was in revolution i think he said i think he i think he set himself on fire uh, if i'm not if I'm, yeah if i remember correctly yeah i mean it, I, I don't think you know many of us uh, are <clears throat> are wondering what's going to be on the on the shelves in in uh, a few months time our favorite cereal or whatever but for those who are 
you know, don't have a whole lot of wiggle room, you dip mm-hmm. below that, you know, minimum daily caloric intake level and all of a sudden civil unrest becomes not just an attractive um you know alternative but the only thing you've got and and you know you get enough people together who feel like that and all of a sudden governments can topple and and dominoes can fall well it takes us back to what we mentioned at the beginning about you know the US becoming an ungovernable country um mm-hmm. you know because you don't have to read too many news articles or go too far to see articles about these, you know, these store lootings that go on in certain yeah. big cities where people just crash into some, you know, a drugstore or a convenience store, or whatever. And, you know, they, these flash mobs and they just kind of loot everything off the shelves they can stuff into their bags and run away. And it has to do with, you know, the, the whole concept of how hard do we police the country anymore? You know, are yep. the are the district attorneys going to prosecute? You know, I mean, California has the $950 law so that if you steal anything, you know, under $950, they won't even bother. You know, you just, you just walk away with it. Uh, there's that. But, but you know, ima- transform that. You know, uh, imagine that transformed into uh, supermarket mobs, you know, where uh, where, you know, hungry people are out there saying, oh, no, I, you know, I only, I only have 50 bucks in my pocket and it's going to take, you know, $200 to, to buy the food that I need to feed the family. I mean, next thing you know, there's going to be a flash mob down at the, you know, down at the shop and save or a flash mob, you know, down at yeah. the Vons uh, or something like that, you know. Um, and, and, and we're going to have, you know, you're going to have national guard troops outside, you know, with, with their, you know, with their vests and their guns and their helmets and stuff, uh, uh, you know, kind of letting people in one at a time, one at a time, you know, it's, it, it's going to, it's going to go back. It's going to be like the Soviet union where you'd walk into some store, um, and you, you know, you'd go and you'd get some shelf that had almost nothing on it. You'd say, oh, yeah, I want one of those. They give you a ticket. You go and you pay for it you take the ticket back, you know, then the surly clerk behind the counters. Oh, okay. They wrap it up in a piece of right. you know, greasy newspaper and hand it to you, you know, something. Yeah, um, rock, uh, rock hard piece of bread and some crusty brand imitation gruel or, or, or some such. And or it, I feel like it's not, it's not as if we haven't, um, you know, not to sound conspiratorial, but, but it, you know, we have been conditioned or gaslit or whatever terminology you want to use to expect you know, boots on the ground uh, in in certain cities. You know, to to ward off uh, so-called uh, euphemistically termed peaceful protests. I mean, we have gotten accustomed to um, you know a lot more authoritarian overreach from the state, especially during the past couple of years of lockdowns. I mean, who would have thought that just a couple of years ago you had told, or say, you know, thirty months ago, if you had have told an American, you know, maybe just in heartland America, by the way, there will be, uh, you know, officers of the law handing out fines. Uh, if you don't have your face covered in public areas, you won't be able to leave your home or your apartment. Uh, you know, there'll be, there'll be all these kind of mandates that are, that encroach in a way that we had never experienced before. They they would have thought you had lost your marbles. It has been surreal. It has been surreal. I I mean, I remember I wrote about this in whiskey and gunpowder two years ago where the, the Los Angeles police arrested somebody for paddle boarding in the Pacific Ocean. I saw that, that. yeah. I mean, Amazing. Kind of, are you, this guy is like, he's, he's like 200 yards offshore. He couldn't, he couldn't be more ocean. socially distant. And he's just paddle boarding, <laughs> and they send out the, the boat police or whatever, the fish yeah. police or whatever, but, to arrest him. But but we so, saw it everywhere. We saw, I mean, we saw it in Britain. We saw it in Australia. We saw it in New Zealand. You know, I mean, the, the, cop, the cops brought out their... You know, their their uh, their inner the inner whatever it is that makes people not like them. You know, 
uh, yep. uh, you know, o- obeying these stupid edicts from the people above. You know, yep. if you're you're walking in the park without a mask and you're, there's nobody within, you know, within within a quarter mile, oh, you're, we're, we're going to cite you for that. Or the, you know, in, not too far from where I live, there was a woman who was sitting in the far section of of the stands of a in front of a sports field watching her kid play soccer or football or something. I don't know. And 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 some cop just sort of like walks up to her and arrests her for not wearing a mask. Well, mm. there was she wasn't she was nobody there, you know. Yeah. And then she resists, and now it's sort of like, oh, well, you resisted arrest, so now we're really going to arrest you. And, I mean, goodness gracious! Whole, I mean, this is a country where you know we're, we're you know a year ago or a year and a half ago, people burned down entire sections of cities and got away with it. But you know, but at the same time, you know, little little old ladies got you know got ticketed and hauled into court for not wearing a mask. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's yeah. You know. it, it is certainly an opportunity for. Um, for everybody to bring out their little Eichmann, uh, I like to call it their little, their little, you know, petite functionaire rule following impulses and uh, get to boss a bunch of other people around. Uh, Byron, I, I know I'm pressing up uh, on your time, which you've generously uh, given to us today, but I do want to get just your take on one more uh, issue, uh, which just came across the news wires this morning. And, and uh, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't get your input on this. And this is news that uh, the Biden administration have announced that they will <laughs> supply bids to re- restock the strategic, <laughs> the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, I know you had been writing about that. I've, I wrote about them having uh, drained it uh, not so not so long ago after. After many senators, by the way, just a little a little backstory here for our listeners. Uh, it was a couple of years ago when a uh, when a fashionably unpopular uh, president suggested refilling the strategic petroleum reserves at I think something like twenty two or twenty five bucks a barrel. Uh, you know, when prices are low, you're supposed to buy uh, according to conventional wisdom. Anyway, that was quashed because it was uh, marketed to the public as an unwarranted and unearned subsidy to big oil and big gas. And so you had people like Senator Chuck Schumer uh, skiting and gloating that he had put the kibosh on refilling the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. And then we saw uh, late last year and then earlier again in 2022, the Biden administration tapped that uh, strategic petroleum reserve. And now with prices uh, way back up uh, over a hundred bucks, he's talking about well, not just talking about. He's advanced, giving the markets advance notice that he will be uh, purchasing something in the order of sixty million barrels. Then there'll be three tranches, so it'll be one hundred eighty million barrels, thereby sending the price even higher in expectation. It reminds me a little bit of uh, of Gordon Brown's Brown Bottom when he told the market in advance that he was going to be unloading half the his majesty's uh, gold coffers and thereby tanked the price in advance of the auctions. But, uh, you know, is, is this just more uh, unintended consequences? Is it stupidity? Is it arrogance? Is it just something that we're not seeing? Is it, is it, is it genius in the disguise of, of idiocy? What, what, are we, what, what are we looking at here? Well, well, I hope it's, I, I actually hope that it's not stupidity because if it's stupidity, um, these people really are pathetically stupid. <laughs> um, uh, I don't, I don't know. 
old professor who used to talk about the too dumb to live rule, you know, you know, the, you know, the guy who crawls underneath the bus to get his hat after it blows off his head and the bus pulls out and squashes him. And, well, you know, some people are just too dumb to live, you know. Uh, I'm but, an award uh, contender, yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, you, you've summarized it very well. Uh, my my real worry is that these people actually do understand what they're doing. You know, that we're mm. we're going to we're going we're gonna to drain the strategic petroleum reserve uh, for for some political spectacle. We're going to say, oh, we're selling the oil. We're going to sell the oil and drive the price down. Of course, it didn't drive the price down. And of course, that particular oil, those barrels that have been coming out of the SPR, most of them have been putting on a going on a tanker. And sent off to foreign destinations. They're not going to some refinery in Houston yep. or some you know refinery in Philadelphia, you know some refinery in Long Beach, so that you know Americans can you know put it in their tank and you know burn it up as they drive around. No, 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 no. They, uh, they're, 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 that, that oil, most of that oil went overseas. It still is. Uh, and but yes, but here we are. We're going to you know refill the reserve. Um, my solution, my suggestion to that is that uh, uh, what the U.S. government should do is what it has long done. It it should take a royalty, what's called a payment in kind, from oil companies that are producing oil on U.S. federal leases. You know, federal lands, federal mm-hmm. offshore. You know, okay, you 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 know, let's say you're an offshore oil production platform out in the Gulf of Mexico, and you produce, pick a number. You know, you produce, you know, ten thousand barrels a day. Well, you know, your royalty to the government's you know twelve and a half percent. Well, rather than write a check to the government. Give us, you know, twelve and a half percent of the oil that comes out, and that'll go to the salt domes in Texas or Louisiana. That's what they ought to do, and that way there's no real cash burn that that right. uh, that, that goes. But but for the U.S. government to just go out and say, you know, for whoever it is that's going to buy this, the Department of the Interior, the Defense Logistics Agency, whoever, to say, oh yes, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll write you guys checks, and we're, you know, we're going to bring in tanker loads of oil from. From where? From Nigeria? From Saudi? From whatever? And we're going to pump it into it. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy economics. And it actually brings us back to the very beginning of, of our talk today, which is, you know, the U.S. has this incredible debt, and you know, we're, you know, we, in our federal bank, our central bank is doing these tiny little baby half percent steps to address uh, the inflation problem, uh, and uh, you know, it's. It's 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 all just window dressing. It's all it's all narrative, and it's not even good narrative anymore. It's it's kind of like really dumb comic book narrative. It's dumb comic book government go- governance, uh, uh, governance by imbecility or something like that. Policy making by imbecility. Um, uh, I'd like to think that Winston Churchill was right when he says America will always do the right thing, you know, after it's tried everything else, you know, um, <laughs> you know, maybe may, maybe we will, but but for now, you know, just. Uh, you know, invest the best you can, you know, you know, go for hard assets, energy, you know, mines and minerals, you know, gold, silver, you know, land, ag, you know, real stuff. You know, I mean, companies that with real factories full of smart people that make mm-hmm. real things, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, don't, speaking don't, of don't, that, don't, don't, don't. speaking of that, Byron, tell our readers uh, and our listeners or our, our viewers, uh, depending on the medium in which they're uh, imbibing this, your insights and expertise, tell uh, everyone, where they can follow you, where they can get your latest research, uh, and keep up to date with your thinking as as America tries everything else but the best thing uh, on on that long road. Uh, well, you'll uh, you'll find me um, writing a periodic article in uh, in a, in a St. Paul Research Pub called Lifetime Income Re- Lifetime Income Report. 
and uh, um, you'll you'll sometimes find me here at Bonner Private Research. Uh, I, I I know that I promised the readers uh, uh, a couple of times that I'd give them a you know a, a few updates, and I'm and I'm behind on that, so I uh, I do need to catch up. Um, I am uh, going to be at the Vancouver BRIC, Vancouver Resource Investment Conference in uh, Vancouver in uh, May 16 and 17. I'm giving a talk mm-hmm. on the 17th. That'll probably be on YouTube. Um, and, uh, and, and I sometimes uh, write for a, an outfit called Investor Intel, which is up in Toronto. I, I send them an article every now and then. Uh, so I, I get around, um, and, uh, but I, I certainly enjoy talking with you, talking with, uh, uh, you know, the old hands from, you know, from the olden days of Agora, because everything, <laughs> yep. is, everything has changed and transformed so much. Um, but uh, Indeed but, it has. Know, I, I'm, I'm around and I'm not going anywhere. Um, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not writing a new, I'm not writing whiskey and gunpowder anymore, which was a publisher's decision. Um, okay. and, it, and it's too bad, you know, because I, I kind of, I kind of miss that format. Yeah, I I I love that. Uh, that one one of my uh, my longtime favorite reads from from the Whiskey Rebellion onward. Um, well, Byron, I mean, as you know, you're you're always your insights and expertise are always have a a grateful home at Bonner Private Research. Whenever you want to flick us over uh, an article, we're we're more than happy to uh, to forward it on to our readers and listeners. And so on that. Note, uh, do check out our Substack page. Again, it's bonnerprivateresearch.substack.com. And I'll include all the links to Byron's uh, various writings. And he, he is a man of letters, so they are prolific and they can be found in many different places. So I'll put links to all of those down below where you can follow on with Byron's work. And Byron, I think I got to about a quarter of the things that I wanted to ask you uh, today, but I, maybe that just means we've got many more uh, productive conversations uh, in you know, the near future. We have to do this again, huh? Yeah. Outstanding. Byron King, thank you so much for your time today, Matt. I really appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you, thank you Joel, and good luck to everyone out there.